Hjertelig velkommen til dette programmet på Israel-kanalen. Jeg sitter nå her utenfor Jerusalem på Yad Hashmona med Halvor Rønning som leder Jerusalem Center for Bible Translators. Welcome to Israel-kanalen igjen, Halvor. Mange takk. Last program we talked about how you got to Israel and how you got studies here and, and were interested in biblical geography. And then you met your wife and... Uh, at some point you started this center for biblical translators. Tell me a little bit about the background of how this uh, come to life. Well, at this Institute of Holy Land Studies, now called Jerusalem University College, I was the head of a two-year MA program in Bible Geography, and my wife Miria was the head of a two-year program in Hebrew. And it was an intensive program because she is an intensive person. And she didn't take that lightly at all. She had for several years talked with professors at the Hebrew University saying that, look, we need a special program for Bible translators. And so she had gotten advice from some of the top professors at the Hebrew University, with whom she had also studied, because she loves Hebrew so much, that until maybe the last five years, there wasn't a single year that she didn't take some courses at the Hebrew University wanting to improve her knowledge of Biblical Hebrew. And so with all that intensive research, she set up this two-year Master of Arts program for Bible translators. And you had to learn to speak modern Hebrew on a level that would get you into the Hebrew University. And you had to reach a certain level of knowledge of Biblical Hebrew, which is the whole goal. But the importance of the spoken language is that it's not just looking at a word and then remembering, recalling, or, oh, I should say it the other way around, recognizing what it means. It means you're in a live situation and you recall the word that you need to use. So it's a deeper, more profound knowledge of the language if you actually can speak it. And so that was the program that she developed for Bible translators specifically. And the one that really kind of encouraged her for the final step to get going was an English woman who had d overseen the translation of the New Testament, and she knew Greek, for the Niabo language in center of Ivory Coast, and now wanted to continue to give them the whole Bible and wanted to learn Hebrew for the sake of using the original language approach to give them the Old Testament as well. And when she had studied in this MA program, she said, you know, it's not fair. There are such wonderful resources for Bible study in the English-speaking world that aren't matched on the same level in the French-speaking world. And something needs to be done for the French-speaking Bible translators. And then she invited Miria to go in December of 93 to Ivory Coast, where they were dedicating the New Testament. But then the beneficent dictator of Ivory Coast died. No celebrations, 
for three months and because it was going to be a national celebration that this language now had a translation of the New Testament. Yeah. But now, in the meantime, the head of Wycliffe was there. Some of Julie Bentinck's supporters from England were there and some high-level Bible translators and administrators. So Julie said, wait, this is a great opportunity. Let's sit them down and let's discuss what would be an ideal program for Bible translators. <laughs> and, and so those two women, Julie and Miria, head them down and say, okay, you'd like to do... And the ideal would be, of course, to translate from the original. But they had that kind of input. And uh, Miria even went to the Israeli ambassador, Jack Revach. And here's this girl from Tiberias speaking fluent modern Hebrew. So it disarms him to be scared of her, you know, that this is some Christian who's out to get my soul. And he relaxed and he said, what can I do to help? And for the first couple of years, he gave visas for the students. And the first two years were French-speaking Africans because of Julie and because of this ease of getting the visas. And that's how it started and now has developed to the point where we've had uh, well over 150 in the five-month program, well over 500 in the two-week Land of the Bible program because it's not easy to leave a translation project and to convince your administrator, I'm going away for half a year because I don't want to translate from English, I want to translate from Hebrew. And the administrator is trying to get the Bible translated. And sometimes it's more interested in the speed than that it's going to be so very accurate. Yeah. And so this is one of the issues that we face now as uh, our program now has been picked up by some other organizations as well. Uh, and we then are focusing more specifically on the high end, on training people who already are Bible translators, but that's been pretty much from the beginning, but already have become consultants who are advising Bible translators and wanting them, the consultants, to know enough Hebrew so they can train more consultants. Because part of this lack of having a thousand five hundred languages with New Testament and no Old Testament is that there's not the consultants who know the Hebrew who can check and say okay now this is at a level which we can dare to print it as God's Word and so yeah, because uh, this is very serious right you cannot I mean you have um, paraphrases uh, yeah. trans uh, you know not translations but you have paraphrases um, you know, uh, editions of the Bible, but this is not the same as the text, the original text as it was. Yeah, and I would love to give some examples. Yeah. For example, uh, one that can be of tremendous pastoral value to a certain kind of Christian, and that is the word that is translated in Finnish well, we want to speak about the Norwegian word now. What is the translation? Uh, uh, Moses gave the law to Israel. What's the translation for the word law in Norwegian? Loven. Yeah, so now, uh, if I exaggerate a bit, 
I would call that a disastrous translation mm -hmm. because the Hebrew word is Torah. Torah is law, so it's not totally wrong. It is rules and regulations, but it's so much more. And here's the background. It's from a root that means to teach, to give instructions. Uh, Torah is this word for this grand concept of God loved us so much that he gave us instructions how to live. Mm -hmm. And it's not the idea of some rule book. If you don't obey the rules, you'll get struck. I mean, that's kind of included if you disregard God, but that's not the main thrust. How many Norwegians will take the law books that every society needs and dance with them? Exactly, that's the point. And this culture mm. has the concept of Torah that it's God's love. And so we celebrate the fact that he loved us enough to show us how to live. And here's how you can be blessed from a Bible dictionary. You look at a Bible dictionary, uh, at the Norwegian word for law, and you want to find out what are the Hebrew words that are being translated as law. And you find out that almost always it's Torah, which should be translated by this larger concept of loving instructions. <laughs> but in the books of the Persian period, now that's Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and Daniel, the dominant culture is the Persian Empire. And when you read in those books, and it says, the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed, you read the same word law. But that's not what it says in the Bible. It says dat, D-A-T. The, the dat, now what's dat in the Persian language? It was a severe decree. If you didn't obey dat, you'd be like Daniel thrown in the lion's den. If you didn't obey dat, you'd be thrown in the fiery furnace. <laughs> and so it's a concept that is very different from the concept of Torah. And here's where you get blessed from the Bible dictionary. It says, in the books of the Persian period, our word law is sometimes translating dat. Never ever used about the God of Israel. It's not a biblical Hebrew godly concept. It's a concept from Persian law. And it became a Hebrew word. But it was never confused with Torah, God's loving instructions. And can you imagine how many Christians would be blessed if they understood this difference. <laughs> yeah, because in you know what uh, I see in, is that uh, a lot of Christians they uh, 
distance themselves from the Old Testament. They only want the New Testament. It's much more easier to 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 understand and everything. And I say, I think they lack the understanding of what the Torah actually means. Absolutely. And just think about it. Every time in the New Testament that it says it is written, as Isaiah said, uh, as as the scriptures say. It's the Hebrew Bible, which I love to call Jesus Bible. Every time Jesus refers to scriptures, it's the Hebrew Bible. That's the foundation from creation, you know, to the giving of the loving instructions mm. through Moses. Uh, and I'm stepping out a little bit on the limb. If... The Hebrew Bible is Jesus' Bible. What's the New Testament? It's the authoritative commentary on the Bible. <laughs> and so the rabbis have their Mishnah and Gemara, their Talmud, as their interpretation without Jesus being the Messiah. But the New Testament gives what for us Christians, obviously, uh, is the truth for the whole world. <laughs> that the, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that relate to the coming Messiah. Mm. And so I one time went, and I'm a little bit ashamed of this story, I went into the computer lab in Dallas, Texas, Center for the Wycliffe Bible Translators, and here's the sign over the computer. A computer is like the Old Testament. All law and no grace. I got so angry, I went to the head of the department and that sign came down. I said, what do you mean that the Old Testament is all law and no grace? 40% of the rules of sacrifice and of, you know, temple worship are what to do when you fail to follow the rules. Having to do with confessing your sins, repenting, offering the sacrifice, being forgiven, being restored. <laughs> and that sign came down. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I, I see a lot of, you know, I, I would say rather confusion about the Old Testament in Christian circles today. Because they think it's just for the Jews. Mm. Or it's gotten rid of because of Jesus. What is, what is your take on that? Well, the tragedy is that old is taken as old-fashioned, outmoded, uh, no longer valid. And it's true that much of the Old Testament rules and regulations uh, aren't necessary nowadays because Jesus has fulfilled by making the perfect sacrifice. Exactly. That's why some people are even calling it the original testament <laughs> mm. uh, or the first testament because even though there are those aspects which are outmoded, the basic principle of God as creator and the one who gave loving instructions how to live and then through Jesus' sacrifice and the sending of the Holy Spirit in a deeper way uh, gives us a chance to live something 
that uh, is not humanly possible because Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and makes them even more difficult. Don't kill, don't even think about it. Yeah. <laughs> don't commit adultery, don't even think about it. And so uh, the, there is a newness and a fullness, and Jesus says himself, don't put the new teaching into old skins so that you don't need to keep all those rules and regulations anymore. But the foundation and God's care for the Jewish people and his blessing them when they were faithful and letting them be overrun by their enemies when he removed his protection because they weren't faithful as powerful stories that can uh, bring us into the world uh, which is created by God and through which God is acting and moving and still is. Mm. <laughs> and uh, in this return of the Jews to Israel, because I have this theory that uh, there is a considerable amount of genuine idealism in the return of Jewish people to Israel. But a lot of it is made up of Jews who would prefer to live where they lived before. Yeah. If there wasn't in danger of their lives. And so it's God's move in history to create this refugee movement of people, even though they don't especially like Israel, to come back because it's a haven where one place in the world where Jews can have their own government yeah. and face their own problems and realize that uh, Jews aren't always the best people in society as they see what a range there is within their own society. Yeah. But now you have a, your own house here in Yad uh, How did you get this? It's really a gift uh, through the Lord's people, but from the Lord, because there are so many aspects of it that uh, Mary and I had no control over. And it's a little bit difficult because there are so many stories to know uh, just give an example of what kind of story. And that is that we were renting an apartment for years in a nearby suburb of Jerusalem in Mevaseret Zion, bringer of glad tidings to yeah. Zion. And we were looking for uh, another place because the man who owned that place wanted to sell it and we couldn't afford to buy it. And let's see if I can shorten the story down to the fact that Miriam was calling this a log project. Please send donations so that we'll be able to have a place of our own and not have this heavy monthly rent. Yeah. And one Finnish fellow said, uh, maybe the Lord really meant logs. My brother and I just bought a two-story log cabin, 800 logs, and it's in our storeroom, and we plan to build it and make money, but we'll sell it to you for cost. Well, the money that had been collected, and that was largely, but not only from Finnish contributors, was just exactly enough to buy it. Okay. 
but it had nothing to do with shipping it wow. and building it. And so the Finns crammed it into three big containers. I don't even remember. I think it was 50 tons of stuff and shipped it. And then it came here to the port and then it was brought up to here. And then we were supposed to build a bomb shelter. Even though there's a big public bomb shelter nearby, they said, new building, new bomb yeah. shelter. And so the fellow digging out for the bomb shelter dug out more than necessary. So then my son says, well, dig out the whole hillside. And then we'll gain this whole larger space, even larger. We'll build the log cabin on a platform. So down here we have the library and the bomb shelter and a small chapel auditorium and all unplanned. <laughs> and, and so you just kind of, whew, hmm. uh, it's like uh, someone who is asking me for Bibles. And Maria's brother, Olavi, had brought us several big boxes of Bibles and said, I don't have room for these. Can you store them? And I said, let me get on the phone. And so 15 minutes after he said, I don't know where to get, and I think it was Arabic Bibles in this case, I'm not sure. I had gotten the okay from Olavi. Uh, just give them to him. So he's on one end of this heavy carton box of Bibles. I'm on the other end, and he say, I'm into something bigger than me. Yeah. I'm into something bigger than me. <laughs> Where... You know, this is how the Lord works. Yeah. So you've got a house here, and uh, for how long have you been having this house now? Uh, well, it was about 2007 when the big containers came. Yeah. And then over three years, 40 Finnish professionals came and built it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a dedication was in uh, 20, 2010. Okay. If you look at uh, the, the statistics of this place, how many people have you actually trained over the years? Well, uh, my wife has it in her mind like this, but uh, I know that it's uh, over 150. I think it's more like 170 that have taken the five-month program. But then the United Bible Society, which offers courses for their Bible translators, but never more than about two or three weeks at a time, heard about our two-week programs. We had programs in French one year, and English one year, and French one year, and English one year. We were all set up to do Spanish, and then the drug wars in Mexico, where the various Indian tribes were going to send Bible translators, didn't dare leave their families. And so we had Spanish speakers, Spanish guides, you know, all set up and it fell through. Empty facility for five months, what are we going to do? So then we had the idea, well, there are a lot of translators, maybe most of them, who can't come for five months, but they mm. could come for two weeks. And the United Bible Society heard that idea, and they've spent over 500 Bible translators. They had one year from South America, one year from India, one year from Europe, one year from Oceania, one year from India. And, and so there were at least 500 that have come for the two-week programs. Okay. And so <laughs> this little stumbling work that two people <laughs> got going 
has been so blessed with all the prayers mm. uh, and concern and miracles that have happened yeah. uh, to keep us going. Uh, how do you look upon the, the continuation of this place? Well, Are you still having visions for development? is a new organization uh, whose director came to us and said, you have by far the best program, but you have a big problem. Uh, you're not training enough people. <laughs> and so he's a big time money maker, um, money raiser. I mean, he doesn't have his own personal money, but he knows how to talk to millionaires. Yeah. And so he has set up a program that started, you know, with ours, but they have expanded and they're doing the turnover. And so since we know that our vision has been caught by somebody else and picked up and expanded even, uh, especially in terms of numbers, then shall we continue on small scale? And this is where we got the focus of not just training Bible translators, but the consultants who are checking whether their work is on a level that can now be printed as God's Word. And not just that, to train them on such a high level that they know Hebrew well enough so that they're advising the corrections and can translate Torah correctly <laughs> yeah. because they know the Hebrew. And so we're becoming rather narrow in our focus of training consultants to the level where they can train other consultants. And we already have a few of our African students who are at that level that uh, one of them even came back this last <clears throat> summer to be involved in teaching Bible translation consultants uh, because he's gone come that far along in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something to pray about, uh, about just where our niche will be because we have this home atmosphere. In ordinary university, you have to figure out your own health insurance and where you, which dormitory and by yourselves, and it takes a lot of time. Yeah. But if we do all of that for the students, then they can just eat and sleep and study yeah. and get the maximum amount from the five mm. months here. Interesting. Well, thank you very much for uh, the introduction and the history behind this place, uh, Halvor. And I wish you all God's blessing in the continuation of uh, the w important work that you and your wife are doing here. Thank you very much. Amen, amen, amen. Tusen takk for at du har fulgt oss gjennom dette programmet. Uh, vær gjerne med å be for videre utviklingen av dette senteret, Jerusalem Center for Bible Translators. Fordi at det er mange som, fortsatt mange språk i verden som ikke har gamle testamentet på oversatt til sitt eget språk. Det var det å rakke i dag. Vær velsignet og på gjensyn igjen neste uke. Takk for nå.